Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. I never used to be very emotional. I don't know why that was. I, I think, uh, do you get more emotional as you get older? Is anyone old who could tell us that? Anyone, any old elderly here? I think being a grandparent makes you a little bit more emotional. Now, I don't like it. You know, when people say, turn to the person next to you and say something, you know, I don't really like that, but I'm going to do it today just as a one-off, like an experiment. Turn to the person next to you and say, Pastor Nick looks way too young to be a grandparent. (laughs) Do you know, no one's doing that sincerely. (laughs) Sorry, can you turn next to the person next to you and say, Pastor Nick's wife looks too... Yeah, thank you very much. That was a close one. Uh, I wasn't particularly thinking when I prepared, because we're looking at a subject that seems quite academic, doesn't it? We're looking at the subject of religion. Leslie said to me, he said, what are you speaking about today? I said, religion. She said, again. (laughs) Every Sunday, it's just religion. And I didn't really plan anything to have Father's Day on it. And then as, I'm, as we're worshipping before, it, God started putting stuff, reminding me a little. And I thought, yeah, it's going to be a bit Father's Day now. So I'm, again, a bit emotional. Sorry about that. I'll start with a couple of scriptures. Though. Before I do, I'll start with the end scripture. I like to do that. I like to confuse myself. Uh, did you know that when Jesus was praying in the garden, when he was going through the agony of expectation, when he he was fearful and afraid and saying, God, anything else but if it's your will, I'll do it this way. And during that that experience in John 17, 24, he said about you and me, Father, I want them to be where I am. That's what he said about you. He was going through the approach to the cross, and he said, Father, I want them to be where I am, with me. I want them with me. That's why he did what he did. I want them with me. In our society, relationships get a little bit dysfunctional, don't they? Stuff gets messed up. Families get messed up. Nothing is quite like it should be. You know, we look back and we think, how did we get like this? You know, sometimes we look at, maybe it's just my family, we look at our family and we think we're pretty good. And then you kind of stop and think, think, yeah, not so much. Uh, And religion is a bit kind of like dysfunctional families. You'll see why when we come to that in a minute. Matthew 7, 24, 27. Hands up who's been to Sunday school? Not today, I mean in your life. (laughs) if you've been today already, you're way too keen. You're like, anyone been to Sunday school at any point in their life? Do you know a song? And I'm going to make you sing it about the wise man who built his house upon the rocks. Anyone know a song like that? Yeah. Right. This is that Bible story. Okay, we're not going to do the song. Don't worry. Jesus speaking. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not 
put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The difference between the two is that one person heard the words and believed and acted on it. The other person heard the words and didn't act upon it, didn't believe. Jumping ahead a few thousand years, well, not actually, 20 years. Acts 17, 16 to 33. The Apostle Paul is visiting Athens. Uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean, that's how I say it. It may be wrong, but that's how I say it. A group of Epicurean, I say it different then, and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him into a meeting of the Aragopas and where they, where they said to him, may we know what this strange new teaching is that you are presenting. We would like to know what it means. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. In those days, exactly like now, society was full of all kinds of different ideas and religions and beliefs. And there is something in human nature that, that reaches out. So what I'm going to try and whiz through very, very quickly is a little bit of a background on a few questions that we're likely to get asked, we do get asked as followers of Jesus, and possibly questions that we might ask ourselves. So I'm going to whiz through a bit about does religion cause suffering and war? The kind of things that people say to us. But I'm hoping to go a little bit deeper and a little bit more meaningful with some other questions as well. Did you know that there are 1.8 billion Muslims approximately in the world? Neither did I, I Googled it, right? There are 1.1 billion Hindus in the world. There are 488 million Buddhists in the world. Again, this is Google. Uh, normally, if you ask a question, the answer is in the Bible, but if not, it may well be on Google somewhere. It just may not be the right answer, but it'll be there somewhere. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world, according to Google. So, you know, significantly more, bigger number. Interestingly enough, uh, I also discovered through uh, the medium of an incorrect spell check that there are 19 billion chickens in the world. <laughs> I definitely typed Christians in when I typed it and Google changed it to chickens. I looked at it, I thought, 19 billion? It's not that many people. I thought, ah, chickens. Always be careful of Google. Most people attach some kind of religious label to themselves. You know, we've all filled forms in where it says, what religion are you? And you kind of, I have this little thing where I'm not religious. 
I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have a living faith in the living God. And there's no box for that. So you just tick Christian. Everyone attaches religious labels to ourselves. The extent to which it affects our lives varies very much from one person to another. Some people would say, I'm really religious. My whole life is shaped by what I believe. Other people will say, my grandparents were, were quite religious, but it's not really for me. I, I just watch football. Uh, everyone has varying degrees, but we've all got these labels. In Jesus' day, he constantly found himself confronted by religious people, weirdly enough. Rather than it being the very worst, most difficult people that would come at him, it would be religious people that would cause contra-chomps and arguments. From the very beginning, King Herod stepped in to try and intervene in Jesus' life to the very end when he was taken to the cross. In, in Matthew's gospel, there are 15 different occasions where the religious authorities stepped in and tried to stop Jesus doing what he was doing, tried to cause problems for Jesus, tried to interfere with the mission that he was carrying out. Judaism, as a religion, has a unique place in the world so this religion that Jesus was confronting actually wasn't saying things that weren't true what the people believed by and large were true the problem was in the recognition of what it was all for and what it was all about the doctrines the beliefs were great the day to day living it out that was where the problem came along because instead of people getting close to God which is what God wanted they were using their religion almost as like a kind of a textbook way of getting out of things that God might expect of you uniquely in all the religions of the world the Jewish religion which isn't really just a religion it's actually a unique calling upon a nation and a people by God will reach a point where God demonstrates his love to all the rest of us by grabbing hold of them afresh in a dramatic way and returning them to the living relationship that he always meant people to have with him. Kind of like a little bit of an example to us. Again, that was always God's plan. But there is this underlying thread of a conflict between religion and relationship and that really is pretty much going to be the kind of theme of of where I'm coming from if you were asked and somebody said do you would you describe yourself as religious just a little poll I I like to get people active in the early stages before I get too emotional Uh, who would say if someone said to you are you religious? You would just say yes. Anyone, anyone, anyone religious here? Aren't we great? We're just not religious at all. <laughs> because the phrase itself has certain negative connotations, doesn't it? When you think of somebody saying, I'm religious, 
You normally think of someone who follows a set of rituals, follow a set of rules. Does anybody else associate the word boring with the word religion? I don't, obviously, because uh, that, that would be very bad. But yeah, it, 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 it kind of goes together, doesn't it? But there's a lot more to the, the subject of religion than that. I hope you get a flavor for that in a minute. So why do we think there are so many religions? Well, to ask that question, I think we have to look at what religion actually is. Because religion exists because of the way we're made. We are made by God to be God-seekers. We're made by God to be his friends. We're made by God to be close with him. We're made by God to play with him. Life is meant to have that element of excitement and adventure and a kind of supernatural element to it that you don't see in the everyday because we push it to the recesses in the corners of society. We're made for something else than just the mundane day-to-day. And so, actually, religion is all about people seeking and finding that out. People searching for God because they've got a hunger within them for what is real. We are not satisfied with fake and made-up stuff. It can last for a bit, but eventually we get fed up with it because we know it's fake and made up. And if you've got something in you that's not real, everyone else won't know, but you will know. So you will get fed up with it, and eventually you'll try and replace it with something else. Religion itself, on Google, uh, obviously I get a lot of my stuff from Google, uh, it describes it as personal beliefs publicly expressed because we all have beliefs and opinions but if, we, if it's just a belief and an opinion it's in our head and no one ever knows about it who's got a dodgy opinion they've never told anyone about because they're really embarrassed anyone that really is just me I feel bad now I'm not going to tell you what they are because they are they're bad embarrassing opinions but if you've got opinions and beliefs and they're just in your head they're just opinions religion is when we practice what we believe with others and then it quite often goes on to become organized and hence all those other figures before Islam so many million billion not the chicken one that's not that's not a real one but the reason there are so many religions anyone got any idea how many religions there are 4,200 it's a lot of religions isn't it some of them I don't think are real I was I didn't look at the whole list but it's quite a long list. Some of them are definitely not. Some of them come from television programs without any shadow of a doubt. I didn't see Jedi in there, but I'm fairly sure it would have been in there if I looked close enough. But there's a lot of religions there. So why are there so many religions? One of the reasons is because people are hungry for God. So when you're hungry for something, you try and find it, don't you? Uh, if you wake up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, you're really hungry, you know that McDonald's 24 hours open down by Green Lane, even if the ice cream machine doesn't work at that time in the morning. <laughs> Apparently, so I've been told. Uh, but you know you can get some food somewhere. But if you didn't know that, you drive around till you found... Well, obviously, if you're really, really hungry, you drive around till you found... Go to the Asda instead. Uh, if you're hungry for something, you'll find avenues to satisfy that hunger. So that's one reason why there's lots of different religions. But another reason is that we don't trust religious authorities anymore. If it was 1950, there wouldn't be 4,200 religions. There would be a lot less. Because there was a time when people accepted what they were told maybe a lot more than we do now. But we've seen it all now, haven't we? If we haven't seen it all ourselves, we've seen it on YouTube. So... 
you know, there's a lot more information around. So therefore, people don't trust religions as much. They don't trust organized religion. They don't trust people to have authority. So instead, they either go and find another one that they never heard of before, or in some cases, they make up their own. Has anyone got friends who believe weird stuff? Because none of you do, because you've told me that already. You don't believe any weird stuff. You've got, and sometimes you have chats with them, and you're talking about, why do you believe that? And they tell you, and you say, that's just nonsense. Obviously, that would be a close friend for you to say that. Otherwise, they're not friends at all anymore. Uh, but everyone believes something. There's a, what I knew said this quote. I've got no idea who said this. Apparently, it's a real quote. When people stop believing the truth, they don't believe nothing. They believe anything. Because we were made to have faith. We were made to seek God. And so if we don't find the real thing, we will keep looking. So, I'm going to dip briefly into a couple of questions. Then I'm going to finish with a flourish. By flourish, I mean long. Oh, yeah. Got plenty of time, we're okay. It's only bacon sandwiches and sausage sandwiches and stuff like that. You're all right to wait, aren't you? You don't mind them cold. So, briefly looking at this question <laughs> Does religion really cause war and suffering? Some people say things like, I've heard this, people say to me, all war is caused by religion. I know that's not true because in 1969, El Salvador and uh, Honduras went to war over football. Now, some people say that that would be classed as a religious war, but I don't actually think it was in this case because Liverpool were not involved in any way, shape or form. So it wasn't like real football. It was just like international football. The reality is with that war that it wasn't about football at all. Uh, it was about border tensions. It was about the influence of multinational corporations on the fruit market in Honduras. It was a whole range of complex human factors. Greed, arrogance, pride. Football was just the excuse that tipped things over the edge. And it was called a football war. But you can say the same about every war that has had a religious element to it. Our most recent war of any length was obviously Afghan. Uh, and some people will say, well, there was a religious element to that war. Surely you had a number of non-Muslim countries occupying a Muslim country. And the fight was over. But actually, if you go back, there were a whole myriad complicating range of factors in a nation that's been permanently at war for 200 plus years and the rise of the Taliban in Afghanistan was as much to do with the reaction to incredible corruption and suffering and all the other things it led to them actually being a preferable option to what was already there it actually wasn't too much to do with religion at all and that's a good example of how war reflects humanity. Actually, if people weren't sinful, if we weren't proud, arrogant, full of fear, 
what we believed wouldn't be a problem. If we believed different things, it would be okay because we would talk about it. But because human nature is what it is, conflict becomes war. And that's not religion, that's just human nature, sadly. The way to fix it is the same way that we need to fix people. You can't fix suffering without fixing people. And as we're going to see, we can't fix people without the people fixer. So you'll appreciate that was quite a brief run through. I haven't gone through any quotes. I haven't gone through philosophical avenues of why war can't be solely blamed on religion and why suffering can't be blamed on religion. And there's a reason for that because I actually think the main scope, the main focus of our story, the main focus of this question needs to be how should we respond to other religions? Now, there was an element to the most recent of the many tragedies that we have seen broadcast into our screens that was new with what we've seen in the Tower Block in London. And that is the massive diversity in the victims of the terrible fire. Suddenly we're looking at a situation now where there are people from different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, and they've all been equally affected. How can we help address, deal with issues? Not so much like that, because we're not faced with that, because that's not in our community. If we were there now, we would be. We would be stepping in, we'd be doing what we could. But how do we deal with issues like this in the light of people from other religions? I'm going to give a little bit of a story now, story time to, to break off a little bit from the main bit. I don't think you can ever separate our faith from our lives. I try to. I try to treat it as a separate subject. It'd be a little bit lighthearted, throw in a few facts and figures, talk about chickens, stuff like that. But this is real life stuff. This is stuff that affects our future, our families, our kids, our relationships. So I'm going to go with a, a, some testimony, some story. I'm going to tell you about my family. Just a little snapshot. I want you to pretend I'm 14 now. I'm not going to like act out 14. I never did it that good when I was 14. I certainly wouldn't be able to do it now. And at that time... Uh, I'd grown up in a, in a family, I, I, I would have said, if you'd have said to me, what religion are you? I'm Catholic, because that's what I knew. So uh, up until I was 11, I'd been an altar boy. Uh, I don't know how I knew a lot of the stuff that I knew, whether it was from school or whether it was from family or, or whether it was from church, I don't really know. But I had lots of ideas about what I thought life was about and what I thought was true and what I thought wasn't true. Kind of believed in God but also kind of pretty much lived the same way as everyone else around me. When I was seven, just as a little aside, I used to, uh, <laughs> I used to play a little game with my teddies. I might be younger than seven, because if seven is too old to have teddies, I was definitely younger than seven. 
and I used to line them up and uh, do mass for the teddies. I think I may have said this before, they were not a lively congregation. Sometimes the wombles at the back needed a bit of a dig to sort them out and that. But uh, that, that was, to me, again, I had no real ambition or expectation of anything spiritual happening further in my life down the road. That was just the kind of game that you play because you went to Mass three times a week, so you just kind of got used to it. Uh, by the time I was 14, I wasn't doing that anymore, just to make that absolutely clear. The teddies were just, they were gone. Definitely, I think. <laughs> At that time, my mum, uh, she would have been, I guess, mid-30s. She'd always been brought up Catholic, so she, had a, she was like first-generation Catholic, and mum and dad had both been Catholics. She'd always gone to church as a family as she was growing up. Like myself, she went to a Catholic school. So on one level, her faith was a lot more sure. But because of stuff in her life, she was really finding that, hang on, the answers aren't there. This religion that I've grown up with isn't answering the questions that I need. The problems that I'm facing aren't being dealt with by the rituals that I'm going through, by the, the creed that I'm reciting, by the kind of praying that I'm doing. It just it isn't hitting, hitting the spot. And she started to look in other places. She started to look in uh, reincarnation, different occult stuff. She started to look at uh, Eastern religions, Buddhism and that sort of thing. Because she thought, like a lot of people do, well, you know, spirituality meditation, dealing with anxieties and fears through that type of thing. I'll try that kind of stuff because it seems to work for people that I know. And that's what she was doing. My dad, this is getting this is the emotional roller coaster coming up. Uh, me and my dad never got on that much. Uh, we do now. But uh, my dad was totally non-religious. He would, he would have said. Whereas the rest of the family, we were, were Catholic. My dad was proper Protestant, which to me meant he never went to church and never spoke about God and never had any interest in religion, religious things. To me, that's what a Protestant was when you grow up. Protestants are just the same as Catholics, but you just don't go to church. So my dad had no time for that kind of thing. Now, I think, looking back, my dad was a proper, like, proper working-class man. He boxed. He went from one job to another. <laughs> and that was about it, really. But I think, reading between the lines, stuff had happened, and my dad was always at fault. You know, he got a lot of stuff badly wrong. And as a result, he knew that. And he was running away from it. So he filled his life with all kinds of hobbies and things to do. What you don't want to do when you're doing that is stop and think. You don't want to look and say, where's my life going? What's life mean? So he filled his life with hard work and bits and bobs, hobbies, as I said. He liked motorbikes, he liked racing, racing go-karts. That's not mature, is it? But apparently, apparently when a proper racing go-karts, it is mature, I don't know. My nan. My nan was in her... To me, she seemed about a 1,000 years old. But she was probably about 65. 
my nan <clears throat> was more Catholic than the Pope. <clears throat> and uh, obviously she'd grown up, she's from Liverpool. Uh, she grew up in Everton on Scotland Road. She actually lived on Scotland Road. Uh, and she was one of 900 or nine, I'm not sure now, uh, children. And uh, she seemed totally, if you were going to say there's a woman who's sure of her religious convictions, it was my nan. Totally sure. But about four or five years before that, my granddad had died. And that, that shook her. But she didn't say anything. That's the snapshot. I don't know if you can see your family in some of the snapshots. You know, the, the difference between the male approach to, to life. My mum trying different things out and trying to get answers. My dad burying himself in his work and saying, like, you know, men don't do religion. Because <laughs> that's, that's what our society is a bit like. As things went by and family pressures increased, stuff gets worse, doesn't it, sometimes? Things start to fall apart. I remember when I was 18 and my mum said, how would you feel if me and dad got divorced? And I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't that supportive at that point. Uh, I was making my own way in life. In fact, I was younger than I would have been 16, not 18. I was making my own way in life. I, would, I had my little gang of friends, starting to get into various things that you do at that age. Uh, and I had other interests. I kind of left my family behind. It's, it's horrible to say, isn't it? I'd left my family, but I was spending more time out on the streets than I was in, in the house. So you basically come back in to get a meal every so often, and I've got stuff going on. When my dad, uh, in the early 70s, this would have been, had an affair, the effect on my mum was so traumatic that the postnatal depression that she had tipped over into a breakdown and she was in the hospital, I mean, hospital for a while. And during that time, I don't remember, uh, I was only 10 or 11, but during that time, I took over the care of my little brother who was, would have been two at the time. And so I was my mum's support for those next six, seven years. I don't remember it, but apparently I was. I was better then and a better memory as well, obviously. And now I wasn't there because my mum had come to me with this, this moment of crisis, this big decision. Finally, think I might be leaving your dad after all this turmoil in the last 12 years. And I was walking away. I hadn't thought of that till this morning. But then, and this is where religion comes to an end and real life, real power of God kicks in. I was with some friends and some of you will know this story and I was at Bristol Coach Station. I'm from Bristol and I was seeing off this girl. I had my black leather jacket on, my black Mohican it wasn't black in those days, it was a rather fetching blonde, I seem to remember. And I had my leather jacket with anarchy, loving peace down one arm, and uh, I think it was probably crass on the other arm. And I was stood at the bus stop waving someone off, and this enormous, in my memory he's enormous, he probably was only about six foot, but in my memory he was enormous, black gentleman came and stood next to me. Which at the time in Bristol, was not necessarily a good sign in the, in the context. And he looked at me, 
And I'm thinking, this man is obviously looking to start a fight. So I looked around to see where my friends were. They weren't by me. So I've mistimed this. This is not good because the coach station was kind of like a neutral spot. Uh, I was a bit out of my patch. I was a little bit, oh, this is not good. And he looked at me and he said, do you know what love is? Which is about the only bit of the conversation I can remember. Now that's a worrying gambit, isn't it? <laughs> Couldn't even think of a song to come back with that one. But it was because he was reading I had Anarchy, Love and Peace on, on the sleeve of my jacket. And I kind of went, like that. It was literally like that. And he said, God is love. And I thought, he's religious. He's a religious nutter. But that's all right, because that's better than what I was thinking was going to happen next when him and his gang suddenly jumped me from somewhere. So I proceeded to be polite because I'm a Catholic. And obviously a good Catholic boy, someone's religious, you just sit there and you listen and they talk for a while and then they go their way and I go my way and life carries on exactly as it was before. That's kind of what religion does, isn't it? It keeps things going exactly as it was before. But this wasn't religion. He talked for a long time. It felt like about 15 years, but it was actually probably about four minutes. Uh, And then he said, can I pray with you? And I said, yes, because in my head I'm thinking, that is the end. (laughs) Does anyone know anyone from Jamaica? Right, if you know someone from Jamaica and they offer to pray with you, try and step away from where the main bit of the crowd is because it's going to get loud. (laughs) He did take me to kind of private because we're in a coach station, there's loads of people, there's obviously coaches because we do still have those in Bristol Coast Station. Uh, he took me to one side, which just happened to be the entranceway of the men's toilet, so that's handy, isn't it? That's not going to be embarrassing at all, is it? And he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he starts to pray. Now, to me, prayer is, at that time, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That kind of volume, that kind of reverence. But this wasn't like that because his hand was on my shoulder, his eyes were open, my eyes were open because I'm thinking, please, everyone don't come into this room now. And he prays the loudest prayer at the top of his voice that I cannot remember what it was because I was also praying. My prayer went, oh God, please let the ground swallow me up now. So he prays. I'd like, you to, I'd like to say that I had an amazing revelation and understood all the things that you've been saying to me. I'd like to pretend that I suddenly knew the Bible was real, but both of those things would not be true. The only thing I can remember is him, talk, is him mentioning God's love. That's the only thing I can remember that he said. But when he prayed for me, God changed me from the inside out and that was the beginning of it simple as that there's no rational explanation there's nothing I knew that I didn't know before but the Holy Spirit started to do a miracle in me that has not stopped he finished and I suddenly realized this is not going to stop now this is not life back to normal this is a moment of change this is forever I walked home and I was in kind of a bit of a daze and I got back home 
and my poor old mum was there. She wasn't old, actually. She's obviously still not old. How many more people can I upset in one day? And I said, uh, well, let me see, where have you been? What, what, what have you been doing? Well, uh, I've just given my life to God in the, in the bus station. Because someone said at some point, you've got to tell people straight away, just give my life to God in the bus station. What? What weird cult have you joined was the expression in her voice as, as I said that. Uh, I go into a room. <laughs> just going to say that and run. I went to bed that night thinking like, this is, this is pretty weird. And I woke up in the morning, this is true. I woke up in the morning, we were, we, me and my brother had bunk beds. He was the, the, the bed above because uh, he couldn't irritate me more from that bunk than he could if I was on the top one. He used to do push-ups in bed. Who does that on the top bunk? How can you sleep through that? Anyway, shared the room. I woke up in the morning, and I can remember waking up with my eyes closed, as you do, thinking, like, is it still there? And I actually opened one eye, as if, like, that's going to make any difference. Do I still feel what is happening in me? the same as I did yesterday and I did you know when you woke up in the morning and you're in the same room the same mess on the floor the same brother on, on top of your head sometimes literally uh, I suddenly thought this is real and that was the point I guess when it confirmed to me this isn't just then this is forever I'm going to fast forward a bit because I've got four bible verses I want to get back to before we finish My brother became a Christian about, because there were no other Christians in my family. I asked before, has anyone been to Sunday school? I'd never been to Sunday school. Uh, my only experience of, of religion was, I was an altar boy, so I went to mass quarter past eight on uh, Tuesday morning at Our Ladies in Lawrence Weston, and I went to mass at 10 o'clock on a Sunday. So I knew the ritual of mass. I possibly could still do that. So if ever we get run out of things to do in the service, Pastor Martin, if you want me to do mass, I'm so never going to preach again now, aren't I? <laughs> but I didn't really know the reality of God. Didn't know, you know, I knew there was a God. I believed in God. But this was new stuff. My brother started to see the change in me. He became a Christian. My mum had a little conversation. With me. She, had, she had loads. My mum was always having conversations with me. She stayed with my dad. They were still together. Uh, and then... She started to talk to me about how real what was happening to me was. And apparently, it wasn't what I said, because not surprising, I didn't say anything too clever. Uh, it was how different I was. I was a little bit prone, you, you might not believe this, to depression and being a bit miserable. Uh, possibly some of it was solvent-related, to be honest, but there, were, there was stuff going on. But it changed. I didn't realize I'd changed. I thought just exploring this new life and my mum said because of the change in me it made her want to know this Jesus that she hadn't known before through her religion so she did a little bargain with me she said if you pass an A-level just just what only takes one I'll go to church with you I was going to a Pentecostal church across the other side of town at the time so I passed one A-level now if she just said three who knows where I'd be today I'd be a success. 
but she only said one. I'll be honest, this is going to sound bad. Don't listen to this. I went to sleep in the other two exams, but that's another thing. I know it's bad, isn't it? Uh, I never liked economics anyway. <laughs> so my mum came to church with me the very first time she came to church. She had a fur jacket on that, that was acceptable in those days. It was 1980-something. Don't do that nowadays. It's really bad. Think of the animals. Uh, and uh, I remember people in church approaching me and said, well, one lady said to me very helpfully, she said, uh, don't you think she's a bit old for you? You need to think. I said, that's my mum. That's the worst thing that can happen to a teenager, that, isn't it? Get a mistake, your mum be a mistake. No, it's very bad. But amazingly, despite all that, my mum came to faith in Jesus. My nan. Oh. What do you mean you're getting baptised? What's all that about? No, you were, you're baptised when you're a baby. You're already a Christian. No, Nan, because I didn't know Jesus before, and now I want to follow Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. That's nonsense. You've been brought up. You've been to church all your life. You've been an altar boy. You've been confirmed. You've been, you've go to confirm. All the things, you all do all the right stuff. No, Nan, before that, I didn't say Nana, by the way. It was just Nan, because I'm not six. So, no, Nan. Before that, I didn't believe, I didn't know who Jesus was, but now I understand that Jesus died to take away my sin, and it's nothing to do with me, it's all to do with him, because he's the people fixer. It's not the church, it's not the organization, it's all about Jesus, so I want to follow Jesus, and that's why I'm getting baptized. I don't like the look of this stuff. So come along and see, she didn't come. Uh, My nan gets a new priest, Father Michael, uh, at Holy Cross in Bedminster in Bristol, who just happens to be born again. I don't think that's going to happen, but it does. So my nan has this chat with him. Father Michael, you're a young man. You'll understand these crazy things that young people do nowadays, believe in the Bible and all that kind of weirdness. Uh, Can you please tell me what's going on? My my grandson is going off and all the family going crazy. And what's, you know, they're all happy. I don't really like it. Uh, And the priest said, yeah, well, he's, he's right. Not he's right. Obviously, that would be far too much to boast about. She said, what? And, she started, and he started going through the bits in Catholic tradition that maybe wasn't quite squared up with the Bible. They had a little discussion about purgatory, and he said, yeah, well, purgatory, it's actually not in the Bible. It was invented in AD 312 by Saint somebody beginning with G. It wasn't Greg, it was someone else. <laughs> And my nan came to faith in Jesus. So it's just my dad and it's Father's Day. You know where this is going. My dad had no interest in anything spiritual because he's a man. He's got an interest in motorbikes. He's got an interest in working and making money. And at this point in time, supporting his family. He's come through some real tough times but he won't talk about it because it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's hard to admit you're wrong, isn't it? My dad never admitted he was wrong. And neither did I. We had some of the best arguments you could possibly imagine. Virtual, physical fighting went on between me and my dad when I was, when, uh, before I was a Christian, obviously. 
Uh, and he would not go into anything that was happening in the house. We'd have Bible studies, he'd sit in the other room. And one day, our music was bad, believe me. Uh, I'm, I'm a punk bass player. My brother was a really good guitarist, but for some reason, our music was particularly bad. Uh, and if you can imagine a group of about 18, 11 to 17-year-olds sitting on the floor, talking about the Bible, asking really ridiculous questions, but also some really good, serious questions as well, getting loads of challenges about life, dealing with drugs, uh, drinking, all the stuff that you deal with when you're 15, 16, 17, lots of issues, lots of questions. It's all happening in the front room. And then we mess it up with our singing, some of the worst music. We hadn't really got the, our heads around Christian music, should have tunes. We were still in the music that doesn't have tunes sort of stage. And one day my dad came in and said, I'll, I'll play guitar because this is really bad. <laughs> so my dad joined in and played guitar at the end. He said, I'm not, I'm not gonna talk about, I'm not gonna listen. I'm just gonna play. I, I said, that's what we're doing with our music. But anyway. Uh, He came two or three times, and then someone invited him to hear Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham was preaching in the football stadiums around the country, and he was at Ashton Gate in Bristol. And he came, and I thought there was no way that my dad would go to that. My dad had lost his job. He worked in a, can you believe this? My dad worked in a space invader factory. Now, that isn't actual people invading from space. But in the 1980s, you didn't have the internet. If you wanted to play computer games, you had to go to an arcade, like a room, a special room far away from your house that you had to walk to. And then you had to sit down and play a computer game. Do you know how big it was? That big. It was like that. So you couldn't fit it in your pocket. There was no internet. You just said, this is for young people. Sorry, just explaining to them about video arcades. Do you still have them? Really? Oh, sorry, I'm out of touch. Just in case, right? So anyway, my dad worked in a space invader factory. He actually, it was so good that he bought home spare bits and made a space invader for us at home in a tea chest. How cool is that? But then my dad got laid off from the space invader factory, so he'd been unemployed for two years. So all this pride and hard workingness had just evaporated. My dad was broken. He was wrecked. Uh, he was feeling like I can't support my family, the stuff that I've done all my life, I can't do anymore. Where am I going to go? And so when someone said, come along and hear Billy Graham, he had, no, he had nowhere else to go, and he said yes, and he went. And on that night, he sat and listened to the message of the people fixer for the first time, and he heard that not religion, but Jesus Christ makes your heart new. Not religious doctrine, but Jesus Christ has the power to give you hope and can forgive the sin that you know you've got, that even if you haven't told no one else about it, he will forgive you and he'll make you new and he'll give you a new start. My dad was broke when, when he went. He wouldn't have said anything. He had, there was nothing showing on the outside because he was a man. But when he came away, he was fixed. Not perfect. We still had one or two disagreements. Most of the time we agree, it's a bit weird, isn't it now? I find it really odd. Jesus changes real lives and real families. And so, when you come across people from other religions, 
remember that they are people just like us who are on a journey. And we, human beings, get religions because we're trying to find God. People follow religions because they want to try and find God. God graciously gives people clues through their religion to help them find Jesus. Even in the Quran, which I read before I read the Bible when I was on my journey, there are seven or eight clear, distinct references to Jesus that, if nothing else, make you ask the question, who is Jesus? When we interact with people, I'm going to give you three Bible verses and then I'm going to finish. We need to be like Jesus, who always confronted hypocrisy and falsehood, but always fixed people. And he still fixes people now. So when we said before he is the only hope for all the catastrophes and situations we come across, he still is the, the people fixer. He still is the healer of broken hearts. He still is the comforter of those who have lost someone. He still is the changer of life directions. And he can do it in any situation, in any family. He can heal broken minds. He can heal broken spirits. And we know because he's done it in us and because we've seen him do it in those people that we care about but couldn't do anything to fix ourselves. All we could do is bring them to Jesus. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow in every respect to become the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And finally, when addressing the question of, of religion, Paul gave the guidelines. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself as love. When we do that, we will be the channels for the people fixer to be able to work through to fix lives. Thank you for listening.